Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. This podcast is fueled by Ditto, a team that is on a mission to eliminate team burnout by implementing systems and processes that streamline your business's growth. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Marquis. I'm your host. And today I'm talking with Dan Englander. Dan is the CEO and founder of Sales Schema, a fractional new business team for marketing agencies and B2B service companies, and the host of the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. He's the author of Relationship Sales at Scale and Mastering Account Management. Previously, Dan was the first employee head of new business at the animation studio Idea Rocket. He lives in New York and in his spare time enjoys injuring himself via Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Welcome to the show, Dan. Marky, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to have you here. I know uh, I was on your show about a year ago, so it's nice to have you on the other side now and me putting you in the hot seat. So thanks for taking the time out today. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Excited to dig into things. Good. Uh, I wanted to ask before we jump into anything, I mean, um, I, I said off the top here, my, my, my family, my wife's family is Brazilian and my brother-in-law, you know, got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, a, a long time ago. And he spent some time down there learning, you know, in these different gyms. And it's not fun. Like you can hurt yourself. And I think like that's what you mean when, when I read that in your bio. So why yeah. Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Why put yourself through all of that? Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's a good question. You have to be, you know, a little crazy, I guess. Like, it's not for everybody, um, but it's it's. I've had a lot of fun with it. You you kind of get addicted to it. Um, you know, people always like compare it to like chess, and there, there's something very intellectual about it and the problem solving, the kind of high stakes problem solving aspect. I find a lot of people find to be you know really addictive. Uh, so it's it served me well in the last five or six years. I'm still not that good at it. I don't know if I ever will be, but it's, it's fun. Fair, Fair enough. And then I know you have a dance history too. Did you ever get into capoeira or anything like that? No, I, I'm not, I don't have too much of a dance history, but I have in a capoeira. Yeah. I, to be honest, I, I would like to learn more about capoeira. I, I, I don't, I, I mean, I understand what it is, but I don't understand like the martial arts aspect of it, but I know there is like a real fighting aspect. I just need to wrap my, yeah. I've seen people doing it. You know, I think we've both been to Brazil and yeah. it's definitely fun to watch, you know, they do it in the town squares and stuff. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's got a great history. If you ever do uh, take a look and, and want to learn more. And uh, so speaking of history, let's talk about you. What's your story? How did you get here? Why did you start Sales Schema? And, you know, just just bring us up to speed real quick on, you know, from from conception of the business to where you're at today. Yeah, I'll try to make it uh, a useful length. I'll probably go a little long. But anyway, I, I started, um, you know, here in New York, I worked in the, the, the advertising industry. I was kind of an accounts person It is in a social media shop. This would have been like around 2010. Um, so kind of like learned a bit about the agency space then. It was completely different, you know, not completely different, but a lot different in that social media was relatively new. So companies would just mm-hmm. give all their money to agencies to, you know, handle that and answer questions on Facebook walls. And I still remember this was like, the heyday of like the highest valuations of startups. So I just remember 
credulously believing in all these like ideas that I got pitched from different startup people that almost all fell apart. And in hindsight, we're like, wow, of course that, that wouldn't work. But anyway, I digress a little moved, moved on from there to leading new business uh, for creative house called idea rocket. And what was wearing, you know, the, the multiple hat thing, bouncing back and forth between clients and sales and learned a lot, you know, not just me, but like through the team kind of, we managed to grow from, you know, low beginnings to, to seven figures and about, you know, 20 or 30 Fortune 500 clients under our roster and learned a lot about that. Um, you know, quit my job, uh, did the whole Tim Ferriss thing for a while, traveled Asia, um, started a consultancy to help companies with sales and new business and then realized that, okay, the only way that I can build something that's going to scale, you know, past my time is through lead generation. That was the thing that I knew that could go beyond me just giving people ideas. (laughs) And and naturally the, the, the area that I found where people needed the most help and also the area that I had a lot of experience with, it was the agency world. And we, and, you know, since then and now we've talked to lots of agency owners that get from zero to one on referrals. And then that's not enough anymore. And then they kind of have this cobbler's children thing where they're working really hard for clients, but they don't invest that on building their own funnels and building their own systems, which I'm sure, you know, you're nodding your head. Like you see that every day. Um, And, and then, and then the rest is kind of history. I think the the main thing is that, that I can talk about is like the way that we, Think about sales and prospecting and new business um, from 2014 when we started the company till now. It's changed a lot, you know, based on a lot on a lot of factors. So that's you know kind of a, a quick history of sales schema. Since then, we've worked with about 90 organizations, by 80 90 percent are marketing service companies um, of all sizes. You know, from maybe five or ten employees up to like 200 300 employee agencies uh, to help them help them win business. Okay. Incredible. And you've answered my next question, which was going to be why agencies, but that definitely makes a a lot of sense. And I know that one of the things that you, you, you do at sales schema or you, you, you boast about is your ability to um, initiate these turnkey programs where it's more like done for you. And from your website, it says your mission is to help agencies and the feast and famine run um, once and for all. Right. So you, you, you take your clients in and you're delivering, you know, this five to 10 X ROI through these, these targeted deal flow generation campaigns. I want to talk more about that, what that looks like. Let's just jump in with, with both feet here. Um, how are you determining that these are like good fit clients first off? What does that process look like? And then what does it look like to actually bring them through and map this out for them to create these targeted deal flow campaigns? Yeah, it's a great question. So the first, the first part of that kind of finding good fit. So some of that is uh, tangible, right? So it's like they need to be going after a large enough deal size, the sort of situation where if they're winning, you know, a client, it's in the five or six figure deal size level. And some of that's because of us and the resources we need to be successful and the way we're built. But I also think that it's it's sort of the way they need to be built too, with some exceptions. I think there is an agency model where you might be going after small businesses and your deal size is, is relatively small, but you've got you're investing tons of money in advertising to get you know all these clients at all times. That's a different thing. Um, we're kind of more on the B two B side, right? Uh, and I think that you know whether they hire us or do this in house or hire somebody else because of the resources it takes to go through lengthy sales cycles, you need a big enough mm-hmm. deal size. So that's, that's kind of the first thing, but the more important thing is, um, you know, a good amount of specialization. They need to be able to tell us what their differentiators are. And it, it can't just be like our team's really great. Like it has to be something that is, 
um, that is more compelling, you know, that, that's going to, that's going to break through the noise. And usually, you know, our clients have that if they have enough experience in either a vertical or a particular area of business. And then the more important thing is probably, um, discipline and right sales habits. You know, we check to, to see if they've ever gone through sales coaching, um, to make sure that they have enough time and energy and motivation to actually, achieve the growth goals that 90% of people say that they want. You know, whenever we talk to somebody, they're like, we want to grow by this X over this amount of time. And then we ask, you know, how much time are you able to devote to that? Have you gone through training? Are you, you know, optimizing the process um, and all those sorts of things. So those are kind of like the main, the main building blocks that we look for. The other thing we talk about is patience. You know, most of these sales cycles aren't going to happen overnight. Um, People can kind of fool themselves into thinking that they will because, if you're used to a referral type situation, you're talking to somebody at the 99 yard line. Um, when in essence, you know, if you are taking control over your own new business processes and your own funnel, you're going to be getting to somebody earlier on in the process, and that's the rub. But the upside is you get control over your systems, you know, either through us or do DIYing it or whatever. So those those are a few things that come to mind, but there there could be more. Very interesting. And and how do you go about that? Because um, a lot of companies at this stage, they'll have some kind of discovery phase or an audit. You know, some uh, consultancies will have like a checklist that they're going through. And um, I was on a, a podcast with with John Ali um, recently, and they have a, a checklist that they bring all of their, their customers through. It takes them about a week to get through it. At Ditto, our discovery can take, you know, one to two months to get through. So what does this, this process look like for you? Um, and how quickly are you able to determine and see, you know, what the issues are and have those recommendations? Cause I know for me, when I, when I hear a problem within about 30 minutes, I, I've, I've already gone into the matrix. I can see what's happening. I can see the future state and kind of figure that out. It's just about providing value and digging a bit deeper to give those, um, those really good recommendations to your customers. So what does that process look like for you? And, and how long is it taking you to get through that and determine what the next steps should be? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And it's something we're always optimizing and thinking about. So it'll, it'll probably be different tomorrow than it is today. But the way sure. that, that our process works is I think that like earlier on in the business, we were like, we, you know, we will not do spec work, we will not start doing preliminary strategy until people pay us and stuff. And then we, we've since changed that, I think, for the better. And what we actually start getting into that before somebody buys, you know, we have like a qualification call where we get all the information. Um, and then if they're, if they're ready, we talk about our numbers, then we move on to a strategy call, you know, with their team, uh, and, and myself. And then in between, you know, kind of behind the scenes, I'm talking with my team to come up with the strategy that will last us for the six months of the engagement. We, we basically have started, focusing our engagements on six months, less than that, not a lot tends to happen. Um, so during that strategy call, we actually get into learning, you know, like talking about how we're going to approach things based on a lot of the questions we would have asked during the qualification call. Um, and, and then from there, what we like about that is there's, there's just less confusion. There's less discrepancy. So before they even decide on what we do, they know what, like essentially what we're going to be doing, how we're going to be doing it, KPIs and everything like that. Uh, and then from there, you know, if, if, and when people, um, sign up, we're doing an onboarding session where we're learning about, more more on what makes for an ideal company for them to do, do business with, digging into things. Um, and we're not a silver bullet. So a lot of the work lives with our clients in 
approving account lists, approving the companies they want to talk to. We've learned the hard way that we can get so far with it, but if they actually want to, you know, have a, a conversation they're excited to have, there's so many intangibles about the sorts of companies that are good fits for our clients where we really can't pick that out. It has to be the salesperson on their side that does. So that often means approving lists, approving copy, uh, and then we're launching campaigns. And then a lot of it is about sales process optimization. And that's and then once there's activity in the pipeline, then we can talk about those things. I think that one of the challenges we've had is like people actually need to feel, they actually need to kind of like burn their hand on the hot stove before they can admit they need help with it. Because everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people, I think, if they're used to just referrals, even if they've been selling a, a, you know, a service for 20 years, um, need help when it comes to talking to people they might not have like the warmest connection to. Uh, that said, we never go in cold. I can talk about how we do things differently as well, but um, that's that's kind of what we tend to see, yeah. Okay, and by the time they get to you, have they already burned their hand or is there still that that phase where you need to build that trust with them you know say hey this is how we've seen that it works trust us and you know inevitably the business owner or the leader will want to say nope this actually works for us this is how it's always been done and then does the burning of the hand happen after the engagement started and you say are you ready to hand this over yet and let me take charge when does that actually happen and where do you come in in many cases yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it, it definitely definitely varies between clients. I think that you know the people that are a little more self aware will say, "Yes, we've done really well," but it's been mostly somebody that's solution aware that's a referral. <laughs> Uh, and we're still into referrals. Like one of the most common campaigns we do is called relationship mapping, where it's complicated, but in a nutshell, we find friends of friends to refer our clients into the right accounts. You know, we we do that through their networks and through LinkedIn and that sort of thing. Beyond that. Um, the main the main thing that we find is is yeah our clients actually kind of need to get into a sales process with with a couple of the prospects we might be getting and then we can talk about the sorts of things that our better clients have done to advance the process and we're not geniuses like there's a lot of like sales gurus that say they have the silver bullet and or whatever and that's not it it's just that we've worked with you know 90 plus organizations we've seen people do really well or not so well and people will ask you know what what's hot right now? Like what service should we be selling? What vertical should we be selling yeah. into? And there's not, there's not really much rhyme or reason to that. Like, yes, there are certain things that are in vogue and then they become not in vogue. But the main consistency we've seen is just discipline and right sales habits. You know, we've had clients close deals in a month selling something that I never thought would would be that successful that fast. Like something that's perceived as commoditized. Like we had a client the last few months close a six-figure deal within about two months of working with us because they're selling design and development work. You know, it's like, okay, I, but they were just, you know, had a lot of sales training and just were really focused on being persistent with the prospects we were getting and it worked out well. So that's the biggest consistency that we see anyway. Okay, interesting. Um, I want to come back to to KPIs a bit later and talk about that, but um, let's let's keep going here. And so on your website, it says, you know, um, why what you're doing isn't working. Most sales tactics yell at brick walls, and you go on to talk about these these campaigns that are just spewing out emails and these really complicated funnels, and no one's engaging, and they're not, you know, really coming back. And so you're you're working to change all of this by this relationship sales model. And I want to talk more about that. But first, like, what are some of the most common um, issues that companies face in regards to their sales efforts, right? Like I just named a couple of them. Are there others that we're not thinking about that you're seeing come up time and time again? 
Yeah, and I'm so glad you're starting there before we get into the tactical stuff because the most, I mean, I think the most common issue is just who's doing what, you know, because a, a client, you know, or an agency rather, will hire somebody and say, you're the salesperson, and then great, good luck. And maybe they train them a little. But the fact is, is it's kind of like a t- it takes a village sort of thing. Like it takes a division of duties to generate revenue for your organization. And it makes sense that it would because it's so big and it's so important is the idea of, of generating net new business. It's not a small issue. It's not like bookkeeping or something where you might hire like one freelancer. Uh, so when you say the word sales, it's actually like a half dozen skill sets because you're talking about the 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 you know, the, the actual closing of deals, the, the relationship building, the stuff that your, your full stack account executive or your owner is doing on a Zoom call or in person or whatever. But then before that even happens, you're talking about the creative of writing copy. You're talking about the systems and the technical when it comes to list building and dealing with technology and SaaS platforms. You're talking about tying all those things together with a business strategy over who, who are we contacting and how are we de-risking a call. Um, so all these things, like the idea that you're going to find one person to be really good at all these things and have enough time to do them is unrealistic. So then the option becomes build it in-house, which is possible, which costs a lot, or hire a company like ours to do it. Or if, you, if you're not able, if you don't have the resources to do either of those, then it's more about, okay, just at least accept that you're going to have to wear multiple hats you know, until you can afford to, to do something like that. So that's the, that's the most important thing is like supporting salespeople, uh, giving them you know, a, a foundation of support uh, as opposed to just like hiring somebody that interviews well and then expecting them to sell your complex service. I, th- I think that's, that's the most mm. important thing. And then I can get into other Interesting. more tactical stuff. Yeah. Hey everyone, it's me, Marquis. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you a bit more about Ditto. If you've been listening to In Systems We Trust for a while, you've heard firsthand accounts of how systems and workflows change the landscape of work for businesses and leaders across the globe. Ever felt like there just aren't enough hours in the day? Is your startup starting to grow and scale and you're wondering how your systems will scale with it? Maybe you're part of a widespread multi-level corporation that needs to update and overhaul its standard operating procedures. Well, if you can relate, Ditto can help. Eliminate team burnout, keep your best talent, and have a clear system in place to help you and your business achieve your goals. Visit thinkditto.com to learn more. On on the subject of of relationships, I'm going to explain a scenario that I just went through and just get your thoughts on it. Like, What are some of the the best practices when it comes to relationship building within this, because the the ones that you identified are like, everyone's gone through it, right? We get those emails that come in, whether it's a cold email or something warm, we signed up for a software demo, and then we get that slew or that, you know, sequence of seemingly unendless, uh, unending, sorry, emails from the provider or from the, the salesperson. And so um, I was recently engaged with, uh, uh, a software company we were looking to um, bolster our our sales software, and so we, we had uh, the demo. You know, we asked all of our questions. We said we would think about it internally, discuss the finance, and then get back to them. And probably within three days, like I would get two to three emails a day. Where it was like, not like, "Hey, have you made a decision yet?" It was, hey, I just stumbled across this and thought it would be helpful for you. Here you go. Here's a case study for this and that, that this company did. Here you go. And it's just like, it's nonstop. And I told you, hey, I'm going to get back to you. And so uh, on, on one side of it, I get it, 
right? You want to provide value. They're doing inbound. You know, you want to show people that you care and you want to be helpful. But in, in this case, it was so easy to see through what they were doing. And it was annoying and it was impersonal because I know that I'm in a sequence. I know that they didn't care. I know that they weren't just thinking about me and they stumbled across this cool article that they thought could help. So what are some of the best practices there? And you know, where, where do you draw that line between needing to automate a little bit and it going too far where it does become impersonal? Yeah, that, that's such a great question. Um, so I, I think I think the first thing is 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 the reduction of automation. I think we've put automation on this pedestal. Um, and nobody is counting the costs of it because the costs can be kind of illegible. Like if they lose that deal, um, it's not going to be clear if they would have lost it anyway. And, and I think they could excuse the automation and say, well, Marquee wouldn't have bought anyway for X, Y, Z reasons. So, but the automation can only help. But the fact is like, there's just hidden costs that are really hard to see in doing that. So to be, to be a little more tangible, I do, it, it, but on the others to give the, the devil is due on the other side, if you were to only write like five handwritten letters a day <laughs> to your prospects uh, and you don't use scale or automation at all, that's going to very quickly become unsustainable and just completely yeah. ineffective for many, many different reasons. So sure. what, what I like the rule that we use in the company and that we recommend to our clients is once somebody replies, you know, positively, negatively, whatever, um, they leave automation land, right? And that, and they go into something else. That doesn't mean they can't be on a newsletter, but the newsletter isn't masquerading as a personal touch point. The newsletter comes out once a week or once a month, and it says, hey, this is a newsletter. If you don't want to get it, here's a button to unsubscribe, right? That's different than somebody that's in an active sales process where everyone's situation is slightly different, uh, and th that leaves automation land exactly. Now, at the same time, persistence does matter, but the thing is like – what sounded like what happened to you, it's almost like they have a weak sales process and they're trying to use robots to make it better. Well, what, what they should have done is said, Marquis, like, hey, do you mind me asking by when do you want to make a decision on this? Um, what are you up against here? Why do you want to make the decision? Okay, you want to make it by this time. Look, I, I'm not, I'm not going to push you into anything. I'm not expecting a decision on the next call, but we need to stay ahead of our production calendar. And it's you need to make a decision one way if you're serious about this. So is it okay if we get some time on the books for a week and a half from now or whenever works for you? Yeah. If they had said that, chances are you would have said, sounds good. Let's let's book some time. And both sides, you you would have made a decision. They would have gotten a decision from you. Because the thing that you want to avoid is a situation where somebody just doesn't emotionally commit to the decision. You know, yeses are good, noes are good. The sort of in-between is what hurts everyone because you're hurt by that because you don't actually move your business forward. They're hurt because they don't know if the business is going to happen for them. Um, but the thing that doesn't help are just like robots bothering you. Right. So, so yeah. anyway, I, I'm, I'm meandering a lot, but hopefully that's, that's helpful in some way. Yeah. No, that's definitely helpful. And so do you think that like if they had taken that approach, that would have been great. Sure. Um, there, but like I said, there is an element where you need some of that, you need that content. Do you feel that, you know, content should take the foreground in building relationship and building value? Or should we respect the the prospect in this case and set those calls to connect and, you know, over the phone or on Zoom, have that relationship building, you know, happen in real time? Do you, is there a sweet spot there or do you recommend one over, over the other? 
it, yeah, it, there, there's a fine line and there's not one thing that's going to work for every situation, which is why I'm very skeptical of automation once you get to the middle or the bottom of the funnel. So there could be there, – there are people that love to consume lots and lots of content before making a decision. In my experience, they that tends to go along less with – uh, ownership titles, right? The people or people that are very, very busy uh, at C-level positions, et cetera. Um, I think that people might want to consume content at, at top at the top of the funnel. You know, there's there's ways in which we all consume content, like a podcast. Um, I'm not downplaying content, but I do think it becomes a slog after a certain point. And you know, the ways that you're cust- that they're customizing their solution to you and the things that you're experiencing live are going to kind of account for a lot of the decision-making as well as their ability to get everybody they need to from your side on the phone. Um, and this is something that, you know, I talk about a lot in the book, which is, is which is, I think um, with agency services, with digital solutions, with even software now, with things that you can start with a laptop and an internet connection, um, there, there's a lot more perception of commoditization. There's the market's way more skeptical. They understand overall what you do and the differentiators become more subtle and and more uh, nuanced. So in that situation, when we're talking about the top of the funnel and you're talking about getting somebody that's skeptical to just agree to spend time with you, the goal is de-risking that call. And then the question becomes, what's the best way to de-risk the call? And, And our experience has been, it's not content necessarily. It's not so much you know, uh, material or collateral on bells and whistles and differentiators and stuff. It's more about uh, trust. It's more about, you know, proving to somebody that you understand that you're in their world, um, which could mean through a relationship, a mutual relationship you both share. Um, It could mean through a strong personal or business commonality. Uh, and, and, And essentially, you're trying to create the effect that you've reached out to them and just them, even if you're doing this at some sort of scale. So that doesn't mean the scale goes away and that you're only contacting a few people a day by writing in Quill on parchment or something. Um, but yeah. it does mean the numbers get smaller. So the numbers game is still there. But instead of like hundreds of people contacted a day for your market, maybe you're contacting 50 people a day, but you're really personalizing mm-hmm. those messages. Um, so that's that's kind of that's a lot. But that's all pause there. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you, you brought up now twice the handwritten letters, and I, I've gotten a couple of them um, from from some software companies. And I have to admit that it, it is really cool to get that. Yeah. I mean, anytime now you get any physical mail that's addressed to you, it's, it's like it's like really exciting, right? It's it's really yeah. flipped on on its head. Where we used to get a lot of the snail mail and less email. Um, oh yeah, and for the record, um, I'm not suggesting not to do direct mail direct mail can work really really well for all the reasons you just described um but i i'm i am suggesting like a lot of the times people will spend too much time and energy by saying hey i saw you wrote this article here and this thing there and fully customizing outreach you know to a particular person when in essence like you could have done less (laughs) and gotten a better outcome if you contacted more people so it's it's a fine line it's it's balancing personalization and scale yeah very interesting. Um, would love to, you know, just understand some some more best practices. And so, can you share, you know, from a systems perspective, you know, when it comes to identifying gaps in the sales process um, and scaling it effectively? Like, what I'm really trying to think about here is we use HubSpot as our CRM. Uh, is there a particular type of CRM by industry that you would recommend? Do you have your own kind of go to? And then in that 
Um, are you tying in sales or sorry, marketing into the sales process? And, you know, like, is there a, a set number of stages in that cycle that we should be trying to hit as well? Can we just talk about like some software, more tactical things? Yeah, I'll definitely do my best. Um, I think that it's more, you know, it's more about your ability to ship on things and get things out the door and get things done. So I think that, you know, the, the specific software products um, to me are less important than just like your, your ability to do it and the personnel and kind of like who does what. And cause there's, there's so many, like, cause that's the thing is like people like me that are selling a particular thing will say like, this is the only way. The fact is yeah. like, there's people getting business from any channel and any tactic that you could ever imagine. Um, you can make a lot of different things work for you. But the, the question is like, what's the best thing that you could do for your, your time investment, especially if you're in like a boutique agency and, you know, you have people wearing multiple hats and all that sort of thing. You don't have like a series A funded sales team that can just do everything. Right. So that's kind of the question. Um, but to go to, to get hopefully as tactical as, as possible, I think whether, you know, you're on a CRM like HubSpot or any other CRM, I kind of consider that to be the sales qualified land. So that's like, remember we talked about automation earlier. People go to the CRM when uh, they're they're ready, they're they're deserving of like one-to-one custom outreach, right? So like the situation you were in with that tech company, they would have been better served by just having you be in that CRM and then saying, hey, we're not going to like be hitting up marquee cold anymore like we're gonna have everybody reference things from the conversation like spend some because it's worth it because like the deal size is big enough that the cost of messing that up is, is higher than the value of automation so that's the first thing um i think for outbound usually the way outbound works is there's platforms just for outbound i'm I, i'm not sure how far hubspots come with this um last time i checked they were mostly you know an inbound marketing platform so what I recommend are, are various sales engagement tools. If you hire a company like ours, like everything we have is proprietary. We've built it all ourselves. And then when our clients get a prospect, they bring that into their own respective CRMs uh, from there. But there's there's a whole bunch of like you know outbound platforms. There's like Reply.io. There's the Airborne app. There's uh, QuickMail. You know, there's there's dozens of there's um out out outreach is the it's kind of like the HubSpot of outbounds, etc. Um, so you want to make sure that you're you're treating outbound differently that's from both a tech perspective but also from a from a creative perspective um the copy is way different i think one of the biggest problems we see is when we when we ask clients for the copy they've been using to do their own outreach campaigns it's marketing copy it's 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 very salesy it talks about differentiators it talks about you know sales collateral benefits hey we helped these clients improve by this much in this amount of time and i'm not saying it never works but it's it's solving uh, it's 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 like the right message for the wrong stage of where the prospect is, and the fact is you're contacting somebody that doesn't know you well, that didn't ask for this, um, and all you're trying to do is de-risk an appointment, right? So that's yeah. a different tact. There's not one way to get it right, but it's a much different tone. And the best way to describe it is like when you you know if you go to a, a trade show or, or or an event, a networking event, and you want to hit somebody else, somebody up that you talked to or you had a good conversation with. You would never send that person a whole bunch of copy that's like, look at all these results we got. You would say, hey, it was great meeting you at the event. Um, it sounds like there's synergy here. You're doing cool work. I am too. Can we talk in the next week? Like that's more of the tone of what we're doing with Outbound, if that makes sense. Got it. Tell me about um, when that doesn't work. 
right? So we're doing outbound. We're doing it what we feel to be the best way possible. We are, you know, being as personal as possible. Like for me, whenever I'm following up on a lead, I know it's, you know, um, sales 101 to not send emails or to say, hey, I'm following up or, hey, we made a decision yet. It's, hey, you know, hope you're having a great week. I know you had said this in the past. How is that going? Just wanted to to check and see, oh, by the way, you know, this is where it can be a bit more tailored. By the way, um, because of what we discussed, I think this would be helpful to you. I just saw this article or I just read this article and we really are trying to tailor it and send it out there. And then we're met with crickets. What do we do then? How do we change the approach? Well, what, what does that look like? And what do you, what can you recommend to listeners who are feeling like they're doing it the right way? Um, apart from hiring you, obviously, um, how do yeah. you, how do you help those, those, those people out? Yeah, I think there's a couple different things in there. The first is like the top of funnel, somebody that doesn't know you yet and you're trying to open a door with them. And that's where, you know, we happen to use email. There's other channels you can use. That's where the goal is de-risking an appointment. And um, there's a lot that we're, we're doing to open that door, right? So a lot of the times we do relationship mapping where we get referred through friends or you know, we reference a commonality. Hey, you know, I'm also from Ontario. I saw you're from Ontario too. I hope everything's well in Chicago where you're based, right? Like those are the sorts of things that we're, we're using to craft campaigns. Yeah. If people are, are, are doing this at home, um, while, you know, we can get a lot fancier if you're doing it yourself, you know, instead of thinking of going in cold, like start with your own backyard. Like are there people in your own backyard that you haven't hit up yet? Maybe you've hit up everybody, but if not, that's a better starting place, for example. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is I think what you talked about, which is what happens when you hear crickets once you're in the middle of a sales process. So you have a good call with somebody, they seem into it, and then you hear crickets. I think I think the bad news is it's really hard to deal with that. Like if somebody's giving you crickets, yeah. um, the best the thing to do is is to be magnanimous and say, hey, it's like I'm guessing it sounds like you've probably gone in a different direction here. Do you mind you know? Yeah. Do you mind me asking if that's the case so we can stay ahead of our process? And there's a lot of like if you ask people to say. To say no, they're more likely, to, and it's a, it's the thing from you know um, never split the difference. I think uh, that oh, that's yeah. a great book on negotiation. That does help a lot, but the the trick is really to avoid that to begin with. So a lot of that is less about this email game and more about what you do on on the live conversations, right? So a lot of that becomes more about are, are they actually emotionally committed to what you're doing? Like, okay, well, what what's your goal with with a solution like ours? If you don't want me asking, what happens if you don't achieve that? You know, is anything if you don't if you do nothing, what's what's the issue here? And like really getting people to qualify themselves so you can tell what tables to spend your time at. You know, that's that's kind of you, you, there, there's a limited amount you can you can do to actually like inspire action. There there are there are definitely things, and you should focus on inspiring action. But it's really more about figuring out where you should invest your time. So I think there's more to be done live through just like classic sales coaching than there is through sending people articles to read to wake them back up again. You know, there, there is a time and a place for that, but I think it's probably earlier in the funnel. Yeah. Very interesting. And, and like you said earlier, it sounds like it's more of a volume thing and just working out the kinks as you kind of go through it versus, you know, getting hung up on customizing and tailoring way too much, right? And reaching less people, right? So, yeah, it's definitely very, a fine line. And I think the numbers of the numbers game is still there. The numbers have just gotten smaller, at least in the B2B sure. world that, that we play around in. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. All right. So I know earlier you said like your, your book is coming out. I think it's June 13th. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> coming out. Yeah. So the title of the book is Relationship Sales at Scale, How to Find Your Virtual Tribe and Reliably Grow Your Professional Service Business. Great title. Great subtitle. I'm, 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 I'm hooked. I definitely want to get a copy of it. And so I want to ask because you've trademarked this term from what I see. So um, if you can just define, you know, the, the at scale portion of this and what really gave you the idea to, to write this book in the first place, what are you hoping to, to communicate? to your readers? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So I, I think a lot of things inspired this. I mean, I kind of wrote this book to scratch my own itch where there were so many people we would talk to that would like intuitively get business this way where they would sort of like, you know, hit up people in their network and say, Hey, you know, I said, we both know so-and-so um, to build trust and to get in the door with fortune 500 companies with like some of the, the biggest names on earth, you know? Um, and the problem was, that it just wasn't sustainable to do that sort of work haphazardly. Like, you know, it would usually fall apart. Um, the, the agency or whoever would get busy and they, they would, the consistency was, was the problem. And I, I, I saw this too, especially, you know, when you're talking about, um, like going to, like, I remember I used to go to like a BNI like group and, you know, the people yeah. that were in real estate would do really well because they had this little ecosystem and they would trade leads, a little real estate lawyer would trade leads with the broker or whatever. But then people yeah. that sold weird stuff like me, I sold animation and other people sold like weird agency services. We like <laughs> barely ever got business and maybe we just kind of sucked. But I think, I think it was mostly because um, there wasn't there wasn't that ecosystem there. So this book was all about, okay, like how do you, now, now we actually have the data, we have the tech, we have all these things to find these niches and to find these sort of like digital tribes and ecosystems to, to trade business. It's just a matter of putting all these things together. So that's what, you know, we started shifting all of our campaigns to like, we used to do just the cold outreach thing. Like we talked about at the beginning of saying, Hey, here's this, the sales approach. Here's a, you know, here's a case study. It stopped working. And I think that's still what 99% of people are doing because they just don't know a better way. Um, so this, this was basically just being able to tell people like, here's what we've seen to work. Um, it's combining stuff that I think is more or less timeless. You know, the relationships we have, with with scale and with technology and uh there's a lot of um boring academic stuff like i tend to (laughs) to lean into but then there's also lots of tactical like here's exactly what to do to build this in-house so hopefully it's it's useful to people um yeah let let me know if there's there's more to your question but hopefully that's helpful (laughs) no no that's that's great and i'm probably gonna wrap it right there but um i think like i'd love to have you back Dan and just talk about the process of writing a book. Cause I'm, I, I'm in that process right now. I, I think I have a yeah. title. I've been, uh, you know, taking notes and, you know, trying to type things out. And I've found that what works best for me is like carrying my phone around and, you know, yeah. just, you know, getting out my thoughts and taking my blogs and my talks and kind of, you know, packaging them up. So um, excited for you to release the book. I'm excited to to read the book and get a copy. And I wish you like all the best. Um, yeah, this has been a great conversation. Um, any just final thoughts you, you want to close with here? You know, when it comes to sales um, campaigns, relationship building, is there anything that you find that you know leaders and owners and salespeople just are not considering that they're overlooking in their process? What would you leave us with today? 
Yeah, Marky, this has been a lot of fun, and thanks, thanks for all your, all your great questions. And we'd love to come back on um, and, and talk about right, you know, the process of writing a book, which I, I think is it should be fun. You know, it's hard, but it's yeah. I think it's worthwhile. Um, but yeah, I mean, to leave people with, um, I don't know if I have like any amazing sage advice. I, I guess I could just talk about like in in my own company, um, just thinking more about the people, about like uh, training and the emotional state of employees and like all these things I think are the foundation for everything else. So I would just say like, you know, I'm trying to remind myself not to lose sight of that, the, the tactics and all these things um, can be, can evolve, you know, but the main thing is like, who's doing what, what's their motivation like. And, and that, that sort of thing takes everything else kind of tends to take care of itself. So I probably would leave people with that. Beautiful. All right. Dan Englander of saleschema.com. Where can people, apart from your website, get in touch with you? Where are you spending your time online these days, Dan? Yeah. Um, the, the main place is, is email. I'm not, I'm not super active on, on Twitter for better or worse. So, so just Dan at saleschema.com. I'll LinkedIn as well. I'm, I'm relatively active there. Um, yeah. And then if, if anybody wants to get, you know, the, the first chapter of the book resources from the book, um, maybe buy it, maybe not based on that. It's just saleschema.com slash RSAS, R-S-A-S. Uh, and there's, there's some more, some goodies there. Yeah. R-S-A-S. And we'll have that in the show notes. Amazing. Awesome. Dan, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate you coming on, uh, sharing your insight with us. Mark, you thanks so much, man. A lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Head over to thinkditto.com to learn more about how the team at Ditto can help your business scale by implementing the systems and processes needed to get you there.